Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Wes Haynes. He is Executive Director of the Merritt Parkway Conservancy. Good morning to you, sir. Aaron, how are you? I am well. First of all, tell us about the Merritt Parkway Conservancy. Well, the Merritt Parkway Conservancy was uh, formed in 2002 as part of a conservancy movement that uh, that spread across the country. So, you know, you've heard of the Nature Conservancy, and their charge is you know, conserving nature. Uh, bigger charge than ours is. Uh, We're uh, charged with preserving a 37-and-a-half-mile road that's listed on the National Register in Fairfield County, uh, National Register of Historic Places, a very distinction, uh, great distinction for the road. And it's also designated a national scenic byway uh, by the Federal Highway Administration. So it uh, for its scenic values, its its aesthetics. The Merritt Parkway is going to be celebrating its 80th anniversary in 2020. Yes. Tell us about its history. Its history really starts around the turn of the century um, when the automobile, uh, the the internal combustion engine takes over from the, the horse-drawn carriages. Uh, and, you know, American society, well, Western Europe, Nobody knows how to deal with, with uh, the problem uh, or the new opportunities of, of cars as well. And uh, by the 1920s, uh, the proliferation of, of automobiles, especially in the New York metropolitan area, is pretty severe that uh, the existing roads that were developed for carriages uh, cannot handle the volume. So in the early 20s, uh, the, uh, the movers and shakers in Fairfield County start saying, we need to... Uh, designate a road uh, for truck traffic um, that uh, that can get away from the cars that are all over the place and creating traffic jams because we need to move you know finished goods we have a huge industrial base down in Fairfield County and uh, and so they start thinking about well let's let's do it parallel to us one about six miles to the north and as they start to think about that a little bit more the uh, the the road morphs from a designated truck route into a designated automobile route to get the automobiles off of Route 1, improve Route 1 uh, in b- between New Haven and New York. And, uh, and so this idea of this car-only uh, highway uh, is developed. It's, it's really a kind of a novel concept. Now, there are parkways. There's a parkway system that's already uh, started in development around 1906 in Westchester County, or a, a joining county in New York State. Uh, and that has matured and blossomed to a certain extent that there are a number of, of, of parkways uh, that are designated, restricted to cars to get them separated from the truck traffic. But uh, the Merritt, uh, the, the founders of the Merritt Parkway decide that the Connecticut Parkway is going to be uh, a modern highway 
that can handle more improved vehicles um, than the within the condition of cars in 1906, which we were really dealing with very, very low-speed cars at that point. So they designed for a few years ahead for higher speeds and a more sophisticated way of moving cars through space. Um, no, they didn't want any stop signs uh, between the New York line and the end of the parkway uh, where it was planned originally at the Housatonic River in Stratford. And, uh, and so they develop interchanges that are based on modern European planning uh, during the Weimar Republic. Um, the Autobahn comes in with, uh, with limited access to the highway, and, uh, and the parkway is designed completely with limited access, a really uh, novel uh, in- intervention at the time, innovation. And the, uh, the other really uh, interesting thing is that it's parallel in, in construction with the Pennsylvania Turnpike, uh, which opens just a few months after the first uh, first leg of the Merritt opens, um, and uh, the Pennsylvania Turnpike is really designed as a, a modern highway, an autobahn that's straight as an arrow. Um, it's it's actually laid out in an abandoned railroad bed that uh, that the railroad was never uh, built, but it was started to it started to be the grade started to get changed. Um, the Merritt, however, is not this kind of straight shot. The Merritt um, was designed over a completely brand new um, route that no human had ever traversed by foot before or any carriage had ever done. Um, it, it really climbs a lot of the ridges that are down in lower Fairfield County and, uh, and descends them. Um, and it did that with modified cuts through the tops of the ridges to just level things out at the top, but without any tunnels, without, you know, just leveling the landscape and making it straight. And it really bent with the, the, the river courses that it needed to cross and made sense. And it had a lot of existing context there because that area had been settled since the early 17th century by Europeans. So, um, so it was a, a really unusual road. It was part superhighway, but part parkway. Um, and it uh, was a one-of-a-kind, but it became the, the template for the um, federal uh, parkway system that was introduced later uh, through the Appalachian Mountains. And it also, uh, the Taconic Parkway, is, uh, post-dates it and, and takes a lot of the ideas from the merit. So it opens to great fanfare in 1940. Um, it's completed. Um, it provides um, a, a ton of jobs, uh, 2,000 jobs during the Depression uh, for people that are unemployed. Um, there's great affection of the workers that are uh, building the parkway. Um, we still hear from many of their descendants today, which is very, very heartwarming. Uh, and the, uh, and the, the parkway is a smash, but it, it, end, it opens just as gas rationing is taking hold. Um, in uh, in the United States for World War II, and uh, so the volume isn't as heavy right away, um, and it uh, and it eventually moves on to uh, to becoming a, a part of our our commuter network. It stimulates a lot of real estate development throughout Fairfield uh, County, uh, areas that had been former farmland uh, are turned into subdivisions. And one of the myths about the parkway is that it was funded by the uh, Federal Works Administration um, during the Depression, that it was a, a, you know, a federal project. But actually, um, 71 percent of the, of the parkway was uh, paid for by uh, Fairfield County government. We still had a co- county government sitch, uh, system then. Uh, the county government pay, uh, floated bonds for the construction of it. Uh, uh, the balance was paid uh, mostly 
by the state highway department, and only 2% uh, uh, was federal money that went into the, the origin of it. So it's a very local road, and that's also a very unusual aspect of it. Um, Connecticut has never planned a, a highway of that size again uh, using only uh, state and certainly not as locavore as the Fairfield County funds were to pay for it. When you talk about building a highway where no sort of footpath or smaller roadway existed before, I would think there might be at least a few detractors. Was this universally embraced by people in Fairfield County, or was there some opposition? Uh, It was not universally embraced, and that's one of the reasons why uh, the parkway looks like the parkway does today and has some of the restrictions on it it does today. Um, It took an enormous uh, uh, political effort to get all the local towns that it passed through to get on board with this, and they weren't all on board with it. Uh, Stamford and Bridgeport were the primary uh, progenitors of it. They had the biggest industrial bases at the time. Uh, But the other more rural towns um, really didn't want the parkway to go through their areas. So um, it took um, our congressman, Schuyler Merritt, of who is uh, the parkway is named for, to get all these, uh, herd these cats into a room and get them all to uh, sing to the same tune. Um, and he had to promise them uh, certain benefits. And the benefits were things like, you know, we, we will make it a beautiful highway. It's not going to look like Route 1. Um, another major force behind this was uh, the, our state representative uh, from Greenwich, uh, Helen Binney Kitchell. A remarkable person in the history of conservation, forest conservation in Connecticut as a whole. But she was a driving force in uh, basically getting uh, a prohibition against billboards, which were, uh, you know, just like the the information superhighway came in and it was, you know, there was a wonderful period where there was no advertising. And now it's just, you know, your, your screen is polluted by advertisements. Well, the same thing was happening with roads um, at that point in the development of the highway systems. That uh, as soon as a road went in, they became a bill, you know, a constant stream of billboards. And she felt billboards were visually polluting. So there's no commercial vehicles allowed on the parkway because of the commercial signage that are on the vehicles. Uh, let alone, there's no billboards allowed within the viewshed of the parkway as well. Um, so those kind of uh, uh, Benefits were were thrown out there to get the uh, the, the local polit- politicians to to buy into this uh, this new idea of a parkway going through their backyards. One of the more aesthetically pleasing components of the parkway are the bridges. They are certainly uh, nicer looking than say bridges along I ninety five or I ninety one. What can you tell us about the bridges? And I guess there's a, a myth that's that's been out there too, right? There, there's a myth that I encounter uh, whenever I start to uh, talk to a group of people about the bridges. Somebody says, you know, I heard uh, that the bridges were all designed by Yale architecture students as a studio project. Or I heard that they were all designed at some wild uh, late night party. Uh, architectural students do these things called charrettes where they stay up all night and they kind of steal each other's designs and share them. And, um, and it was d- done at a, at a Yale architecture school charrette. And um, it's a wonderful myth, uh, legend, and, uh, but it is a myth. And uh, they were all designed by uh, a very interesting architect. He was a Hartford architect um, who had a small practice uh, just as the, the Depression hit. So he... Uh, 
went for a job at the state highway department, and he was appointed the the architect of the bridges for uh, um, the the parkway. His name was George Dunkelberger, and um, he spent uh, pretty much six years from 1934 to 1940 uh, designing the bridges um, for each uh, each place where the bridges cross the highway uh, or the or the or the parkway crosses over the local street grids and rivers in some cases. Um, he presented to the Merritt Parkway Commission, which was the agency that was sort of supervising and, and making sure that it met Fairfield County's uh, requirements, uh, that they were staying uh, on tune with what, uh, what Schuyler Merritt had promised everyone. Um, he put together two designs. So um, there were originally 72 bridges. Uh, he, it, approximately 140 bridges were designed for the parkway, and, and all of them are different. Um, no two are identical. Uh, he drew on a lot of uh, the current uh, styles in architecture and actually industrial design. I mean, some of the bridges look more like uh, toasters from the 1930s than they do like uh, buildings. Uh, but Art Deco, uh, Renaissance Revival, uh, we call it Art Modern now, but it was uh, Art Deco and Art Modern were really modern design at the time. And, uh, and they're, they're quite uh, beautiful bridges. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Wes Haynes, Executive Director of the Merritt Parkway Conservancy. How difficult has it been to maintain some of the, the unique features of the parkway over the years as you know people wanted to go faster and there were more concerns about highway safety standards, things like that? That was uh, a major period of, of the parkway's history when after I-95 came in as a modern highway, without um, it wasn't so much a, a local, uh, there wasn't as much local participation in, in the layout and the planning of I-95. It was pretty much the federal government telling Fairfield County that they needed a road for federal defense and it's just going to come in through the middle of your cities and you know we're not going to do this uh, at the level that you did the parkway. And uh, after that happened, uh, there was a period where uh, People were saying, "Well, we need to, you know, make the parkway look more like I-95." And uh, after the floods, for example, of of in the 1950s, um, when there was all this drainage control put in up up river, um, some of the bridges washed out on the parkway uh, across the rivers, and they were replaced with bridges that look more like I-95. You you don't you don't see them from the parkway, but you go over them. And then uh, the administration of the parkway, you know, got farther and farther away from Fairfield County, uh, and there were uh, the speeds were increasing. Uh, the the parkway originally accommodated 45 miles an hour uh, as sort of the top speed. Uh, our recent studies um, have indicated that people, 85 uh, percent of drivers, are driving in excess of 75 miles an hour. So. Uh, the parkway, you know, the, the the nature of driving the parkway changed. The volume increased in, enormously. Some uh, 25 million uh, vehicles are on the parkway uh, in a year, uh, and that's a conservative estimate on our point uh, from our perspective. So uh, there was just a, a lot of pressure to change the parkway in the 1960s and 70s uh, from the kind of pastoral bucolic ride through uh, a garden spot. And... Uh, and that uh, led to uh, a lot of conflicts with between DOT and the local residents of Fairfield County. Uh, there was a group called Save the Merit formed when the Route 8 and Route 25 interchanges were 
uh, proposed. Uh, they actually got bit, built, but the group Save the Merit, which was a grassroots preservation movement, uh, did uh, knock back the design from something that was going to look more like the Mixmaster and Waterbury than what they, they eventually got built. And when our group was formed, even though we were formed as part of this conservancy movement that was to work uh, in partnership with the public agencies that run uh, things and that run the resource in a non-confrontational way, unfortunately, our first act was to um, go to court uh, with DOT uh, against DOT um, about the Route 7 interchange, uh, which was being planned as a massive uh, connection. The Route 7, there was a connector put up between I-95 and the parkway, and uh, it was intended to be a superhighway put all the way up to Danbury. Uh, the interchange, the big interchange was going to be at the parkway. Uh, we uh, said this is not uh, appropriate for the parkway. By then, the, the parkway was listed on the National Register of Historic Places, and certain federal funds that would be needed to build that were controlled uh, by that listing. And we won in court. Uh, the judge ruled in our favor, and we're still working that out. Um, I'm happy to report that uh, it looks like uh, DOT has come up with a solution that's moving in the direction that we'd like them to take it. Um, it's about half the size of the, the interchange that was proposed back in uh, 2002. What are some of the other issues affecting the parkway today? I'm guessing tree trimming might be near the top of the list. Tree trimming is, is – and vegetation management. I mean, tree trimming is part of uh, managing vegetation. And that was something that, um, you know, Kurt Vonnegut once said that everybody loves to build things and nobody likes to maintain them. Uh, the parkway was, was meticulously planned by, with a lot of civic engagement, putting in dogwoods and uh, mountain laurels. Uh, and, uh, and it had a very um, wise and uh, uh, very talented landscape architect who kind of cited a lot of the tree plantings. Um, and there was an intent for the first 10 years of it to manage that landscape uh, at a very high level. But as we all know today, the, the interstate highway system is expanded and highway maintenance, just managing vegetation along the highway corridors has become something that uh, nobody really likes to do. And unfortunately, uh, that's been one of the existential issues of the parkway is just um, – uh, taking out the dead trees that have, you know, climaxed and they're on their their way out, but figuring out how to introduce succession planting. We've also been dealing with climate change and a lot of invasives that uh, are strangling out uh, trees that shouldn't be, uh, that haven't reached their their peak yet. Uh, and then also the the other aspect um, is resiliency after a storm uh, that's caused by climate change. Um, Sandy just, you know, really devastated a lot of uh, the parkway uh, corridor, the vegetation on the parkway, uh, and to get out some of the trees that were damaged and threatening to traffic, um, a lot of damage was done to the, uh, to the shoulders, uh, the, the other plantings on the shoulders at the time. So we're still trying to wrap our heads around uh, managing the vegetation better and getting it back to a sense that um, it screens out a lot of the development that wasn't there when the parkway was built, but also opens up the kind of view sheds that the landscape architects wanted. Connecticut has one of the most lovely topographies in the United States, and uh, and we want to you know celebrate that with the parkway, and that's what the parkway is all about. There was a time when there were tolls on the parkway. Does the Conservancy have a stance on whether or not tolls should be returned? Our board has not taken a position one way or the other. 
we we get the uh, the resistance to uh, to paying more taxes through tolls, but we also really feel firsthand the need for revenues uh, to maintain the highways. I mean, we uh, we review the uh, right now. There's 150 million dollars worth of of rehab work going on on the Parkway corridor itself. Uh, that we review those projects in an intimate detail. We know the cost of things. It, it does cost a lot to maintain any highway in the state, but the merit, you know, really does have this special aesthetic qualities. So we, we get the need and we also get the resistance. We don't have a, an opinion on the tolls itself, but we will fight tooth and nail to keep gantries off the parkway. Uh, there are alternate ways of collecting tolls, of tagging vehicles uh, electronically, without overhead gantries. That just happens to be the state of the art technology from the 1980s. Um, there are much more, uh, less visually intrusive ways of, of collecting tolls from vehicles. So um, that's where our focus is on that, not, not supporting or fighting tolls itself. When you go around the state and talk to people about the merit, what is the, the number one question you get? Why do they have to mow so much? Uh, why, why do I always have to wait in traffic for someone to mow? Um, the, the parkway wasn't designed very well for grass shoulders. That's, you know, that's just a, a factor. Um, there's not a lot of, when, when someone's coming uh, on a mower close to the edge of the road, there's not a lot of space between you and the vehicle. So DOT likes to provide safety, a safety buffer there. Um, we are looking at uh, uh, slower grow maybe one uh, slower growth ground cl- covers, uh, maybe uh, vegetation that only needs to be cut back once a year uh, instead of uh, twice. They really only uh, really only mow the shoulder twice a season. But still, it's very, very disruptive. Um, and maybe some, maybe there'll be a ground cover that we can discover that will be even less maintenance uh, intensive closer to the shoulder. We're also, you know, we're also trying to keep deer away from the edges of the road, too. So that's another factor that we're looking at. So it has to be something that deer don't like that grows so slowly and still looks good on, on the side of the, of the parkway. We have several experimental stations going on in, in conjunction with DOT around the state. As we talked about earlier, the Merit is celebrating 80 years in 2020. Do you have any plans to mark that anniversary? Well, uh, we we don't have a big event planned uh, at this point. We may have uh, a reception for our supporters um, that that would uh, bring bring those folks in because we are supported exclusively by public or by private donations. We have no public funds that uh, that keep us going. Um, but what we're looking at is some policy directives. Um, the 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 really positive impacts of the Parkway have been guided by a number of guidelines, that, uh, the design guidelines that were developed in the 1990s for exclusively for the Merritt Parkway. And in fact, the, gar- the guide rail that's used widely throughout the parkway has been adapted by the National Park Service. It's used in other states, and it's called the Merritt Parkway gui- Guide Rail. So we'll, we'll go down in the history of transportation, too, even for the contribution we made in the 1990s. But um, we, we need to... Up- up, uh, kick up the, the uh, guidelines a notch um, to deal with uh, vegetation management, uh, which is a very important uh, aspect. And then just uh, bridge maintenance, too. Um, the bridges are being meticulously restored. We're um, doing uh, conservation studies where we send a conservator out to take uh, field tests of samples from the mortars and the uh, paint uh, chips from the bridges. 
um, matching them under the microscopes, and then developing specs that are really uh, bring the, those bridges back to what they originally were intended to look like. Uh, a lot of them have been coated. A lot of them have been, you know, altered with the railings and small details. Uh, so we're trying to get cat, recapture some of that back. Um, we're also looking at uh, the possibility of, of lighting the bridges, um, architectural lighting on the bridges, not for illuminating the corridor, but just, just to bring those, those bridges into relief at night so you can enjoy them then. He is Wes Haynes, Executive Director of the Merritt Parkway Conservancy. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Aaron. This has been a delight. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.